Hello and welcome to the Super Show. I'm your host, Alex Jones, and with me this week, as always, is the effervescent Jamie. How the hell are you doing, Jamie? I'm doing wonderfully. All the better now that we've started bang on time. It is 8.30 on the dot. Look at us. Mr. Professional, as always. I, and we even scheduled it this week. It's like, yeah, it's like we actually know what we're doing. Don't get... Uh, don't get magic. Don't get... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Don't get used to it, because uh, a simple word, a four-letter word that I couldn't remember. Don't get used to it, because I'm sure we'll screw it up. But speaking um, of words, what does effervescent mean? Doesn't effervescent mean like you're fizzing, you're, you're uh, sort of um, with, with energy and excitement? Oh, like I'm a, not one of those tablets that you drop into your water and it makes it taste like orange and medicine. Exactly. And it's good for you. Not ecstasy, folks. Okay, I'm not advocating for date raping anyone. Just want to make no. that as possible. No, exactly. Um, so if you haven't heard us before, we are the Super Show podcast. Today, we're going to talk about some amazing video game news, a little bit of uh, movie news as well. We're going to be talking about um, Xbox's Phil Spencer um, gave a very insightful interview. Um, we'll definitely have to talk about that. And also, we need to talk about some video game Hall of Fame inductees because I say we have to because there was not much else to talk about. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll make something of it anyway. Uh, and this Xbox Phil Spencer story was juicy as well. So thank goodness that Phil decided to give us um, all the juice because otherwise this would have been a very slim, slim week for the show. Yeah. Thank God for Phil, I guess, which is something that we can say now as as people recording a podcast. But um, I guess some Xbox fans have been toing and froing over whether or not they share the same sentiment this past week, which I'm not sure I really get. But we'll, I suppose, get into the weeds of all of that in due course. Indeed. Um, first up, of course, I need to give a shout out to where you can find us, where you can get in contact with us. We are a podcast. We are on YouTube uh, in fine video form, but we are also in audio if you want to check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, all of those good places. We are also available on Paisley Radio at paisleyradio.com, Thursdays at 10pm, repeated Mondays at 10pm. Let me just reorganise myself so I'm more comfortable. Um, <laughs> You're holding in a poo? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm the I'm the opposite. I'm feeling okay. light and fluffy because I've just had one, so they were more good. Uh, um, I think my effervescence is giving me a bit of the old runny, you know what's. So uh, <laughs> if we go to a standby screen in an hour's time, then the folks at home know what I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you can um, reach out to us if you want to drop us a comment and you want to say hello. We're on Twitter um, and YouTube at Super Show Pod, or you can join our Discord because we have a Patreon. Uh, it is patreon.com forward slash super show. And for as little as $2, you can chat to us. Uh, and if you go up a tier, a couple of tiers, you can get some tasty Patreon exclusive content. Um, all of that done and dusted, Jamie. Put to bed. Yeah. Let's talk about Phil Spencer. Oh, let's. Where to start? I, the, so I'm not an Xbox guy. I'm sure most of the audience know I'm PlayStation. I, I play PC as well and some Switch, but I'm yeah. The I'm the only reason I ever have occasion to have anything to do with Xbox is because of Xbox Game Pass, which I've got on my PC. Um, but even I was moved to um, listen to how open and generous with the insights Phil Spencer was recently on the um, kind of funny X Cast podcast when he was asked. Um, some like very straight questions about the state of Redfall, you know, what is going on with Xbox in general. And he opened up and he gave us a lot more information than I think 
I would have anticipated somebody in his position to give. Because he, he's the CEO of Microsoft, right? Is that is that is the CEO? No, 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 no. He's I think he, he's just the Xbox guy. He's not sorry, Xbox, um, not Microsoft. Xbox, but he's the CEO, right? Yeah. He's like the head chief. I don't think I don't think he gets to be a CEO because Xbox is a part of Microsoft. I is don't it know not his that, own little I, thing? I thought it was his own no. little. Shall I do some live googling and see what his job? Yeah. Title is? Sorry, yeah, and not um, not Microsoft. He's not he's not Bill Gates. He's, he's, so, um, you know, you're right. He is a CEO. See, he's, he's the CEO C- of Xbox. CEO of Xbox Game Studios. My mistake. So he is like the biggest wig that you can be at Xbox, and you might expect him to be a bit cagey, but he was asked, like I said, some very pointed questions. Um, off the back, mainly, I think a lot of you know what's happened with Redfall and, and some other like Halo and things that have happened in the past and how Xbox have been doing recently. Um, and candid. Candid is the word to use. Um, yeah. Which it was you? Did you watch the whole thing? I watched like fifth. I watched the snap snapshots. I watched like fifteen minutes of it. Well, I, I did watch the whole thing, and and you're right. Like I think we probably between the hosts on this podcast itself, which by the way was the did we say it was the kind of funny X cast, mm. and the responses to the podcast uh, around the Twitter sphere in the following days. I think we probably just globally or as a community set a new record for the number of times the words candid or candor have been used <laughs> like i think it happened about 12 times in the interview itself but yeah you kind of hit the nail on the head what's fascinating about phil spencer is you talk about ceos as, as i've just learned and people just people in that position within the games industry not only is it not uncommon sorry excuse me not only is it not common for them to be this open about well, the issues and some of the negatives surrounding the company they represent, but also it's just not that common for them to talk this publicly in general. Like people were pointing out, when was the last time you saw Jim Ryan going on a podcast or Shigeru Miyamoto going on a podcast? Every time they speak, it's in very specific, very controlled circumstances. And for Phil to, from, and from what I gather, just from following some of the uh, kind of funny folks on Twitter, Phil, to have this interview organized, have Redfall drop days before, and the impact Redfall had completely changed the nature of the discussion and the questions that, you know, that the uh, the host would be keen to ask him. And he still stuck to it, was like, I'll still show up, I'll still go on. Um, I think there's a lot about Phil and a lot about, here we, you know, first name terms, me and Phil, my buddy Phil. Um, but also a lot about how he feels that a certain amount of honesty and transparency is necessary for the sake of his relationship with the fans and xbox's relationship with the fans but also necessary for paving the best possible way forward um given you know the state that they're in and the state that was sort of being addressed over the course of that podcast yeah no i think it was um it was interesting as well because they they covered quite a lot of ground which was really interesting i think we should start off with some of the quotes that he had about redfall um because that does seem to be you know the thing that is um uh, the forefront of people's minds at the moment. So um, a couple of interesting notes about Redfall, uh, I thought was, they sort of said, you know, what did you think of the um, of the reaction to Redfall? And one of the first things he said, less, was the first thing we addressed about Redfall, and a lot of people did, was when they put out the announcement that it wasn't going to launch uh, 60 FPS at launch, um, he said that they got a punch in the chin from, the, uh, from online, from audiences, and he said that they deserved because, you, you know, he was sort of saying that if you're not shipping a game um, with all features intact, then he said that was something that they, you know, they weren't happy with, I guess, but it was something they felt happy shipping the game with and they they 
they were any, that was only fair that they got that reaction from fans. Um, on the actual release of the game and how badly it did with uh, critics and with fans, um, he had some really interesting insights into this. And we were talking about the delay um, just before the show and the fact that he was asked, why not just delay it? Like, why not delay Redfall when the game's come out and has scored this badly? And yeah, amazing that he actually said, look, the problem with Redfall, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, the problem with mm-hmm. Redfall wasn't something you could delay and you could fix. It was a game that had a certain vision and it meant to do a certain um, certain thing and players to enjoy it in a certain way. And they didn't enjoy it in that way. And he said, that is a game, there's a, um, that's a problem that the vision hasn't lived up to expectation. It's not something you can delay. And that's what happens with games, which I thought was amazing to kind of, say that oh, right absolutely fascinating because we have so many situations where you know there is a little bit more obscurity around the reason something is being delayed and what can be achieved in a certain time frame one of the most recent examples of course is uh suicide squad kill the justice league which um you know as of last month i think got delayed for 10 months into february of next year you know that's a game that's being constantly pushed back and back and back and even with that 10 month delay it inspired a lot of conversation online from people wondering what can be done in that time frame? What can you do in 10 months? Which elements can you rework? And there were a lot of journalists, I remember Jason Shirai was one of them, out there on Twitter saying to people, hey, just so you know, not that much will change in 10 months. This is 10 months that they're going to use to polish and you know give it a good spit shine and just you know smooth off any rough edges and so on and so forth like that's realistically what the next year will be about for as much as 10 months sounds like a long time and that taps directly into what phil was saying and you and i both know this because i we've both played at least some redfall right i think you played the first hour or so um you were saying uh, earlier in the week that's right yeah um yeah um so and i i'm i'm not that much further i'm like two or three hours in and yeah, I think th- when you play it, you totally get what Phil's talking about. This isn't a situation where you go back to the drawing board for a, a year or two years. Like, yes, things about Redfall could change. Yes, things about Redfall could fundamentally improve. But it's just fascinating seeing someone in this position of seniority coming out and saying, sometimes you have a vision, you work towards that vision for years, you get to the point where everything's coming together. You know, you, you talk about like that whole finding the fun thing or you know chris used to always talk about the hockey stick idea and how you get that big upturn right at the end and sometimes and we've all been on projects you and i would have been on projects like this admittedly on far smaller scales you get to the very end everything has come together most of the jobs have been finished you're like oh actually we didn't find the fun and we didn't execute on our vision and to try and you know take another stab at that isn't just a case of can i have another you know couple of months can have another it's rewinding it's undoing work and like throwing out three years of work and asking for another four at which point you know it's like it's it's unfeasible you're talking about a different game you're talking about a top to bottom reboot you know you're talking about dead island 2 can we try and make this game again for the third time please um and clearly that you know that would just wasn't an option for redfall and their best bet was get it as close to being ready for the public as possible and and put it out there and and see what happens Yes, and I think on specifically on that, um, he was asked, um, you know, the difference between games like Starfield and Halo, and they were given, you know, decent delays. Um, and he said pointedly that the reason they were given delays was because giving them delays would uh, should allow them to reach the potential of their vision. And he said, yeah. and, that, and basically said that wasn't the case with Redfall. And I think you're absolutely right. If you play Redfall, 
um, it's it's just not like you said. It's just not there. I'm, I so yeah. I'm like an hour in, uh, hour and a half in. I think I've sort of met the first. I've got to you know the first place. I've opened up the first um, uh, like safe house. I think it's a, uh, the fire station, and you meet a bunch of characters and you learn about you know as everyone will be familiar with. You learn about the different characters there, how the game's going to function, the, the way they're going to help you in your journey. What like you're going to trade with them? You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And I've I've killed my first vampire, and I've um, you know fought my first human lackeys who are sort of on their side. And it is just not a fun game. It's yeah. it. And it, not to mention, I was surprised at this, and then and I was kind of hoping that it would improve. But in reviews I saw of the game as well, it, when it comes to like the cutscenes and your interactions with NPCs, it is dry. It is you're talking about like static cutscenes with like um, drawings that where the camera pans slowly over it, and you're like, this is not what I'm expecting from a AAA game from a studio like um, Arcane and published by Xbox. Like it's just. But, but then actually on that point, which is which is interesting, Phil Spencer was asked, and he, it's one thing that he did push back on quite hard in, um, I don't think anyone in the, pod, in, uh, the hosts actually specifically asked the question, but he sort of, you know, something he's obviously heard from people, Phil Spencer that is, um, he's heard people say that it is it was probably wrong to allow Arcane to attempt to make a game like this. Um, and he then was talking more broadly. He was talking about, you know, game studios in general and letting them make things that are outside of their comfort zones. And he said, um, one thing that he'll always fight for is to allow that creativity, allow teams to push themselves, try new things um, and have creative aspirations. Because as far as he was concerned, the one thing Xbox shouldn't be doing is telling people to stay in their lanes and to not try and push that envelope. Yeah. Which is, is I, when he says it like that, I'm like, oh, it kind of makes me think, yeah. Like you don't end up with fantastic, and I've I've fought this corner before. Like we've talked about how games should sometimes, if you just stuck to the right the path, you know you're going to make a great game. But sometimes, yeah, studios are going to want to push the boundaries, and you never would have had some groundbreaking breaking games if companies never came out and tried something they'd never done before. Um, yeah, which I'm which, and sometimes it's not going to work, and this is a time when it really didn't work. Exactly, and you know you that's the part of the risk that you have to take in order to make those breakthroughs. And I think what xbox and and it sounds like phil spencer and the wider team have learned during this process and maybe some other processes behind the scenes that we never got to look into is that it's all good and well acquiring a studio and then saying do you know how great we are here's what we're going to do we're going to say to you make the game you've always dreamed of making and then we're going to take a step back and we're not going to email you for three years um and so the, the studio being bought might sound like, oh my God, this is amazing. We've got more money than we ever had, more resources than we've ever had, and we've got complete and utter freedom. But like for every time, as you just said, every time that results in a creative breakthrough in the production of something that was totally unexpected, I'm sure there are just as many times where you know, the studio's left three years later going, and three years later, three years is actually pretty conservative for modern game development, but that's neither here nor there. That you go back in and you're like, hey, it turns out we tried to make something bigger and better and different than we ever made before. We completely fucked it up. We're really sorry. <laughs> um, and that's going gonna, gonna to be interesting going forward to see how, you know, the Xbox team, as they, especially as, you know, they're just about to acquire, or at least they're trying to acquire, you know, even more studios and even more teams around the world. Like, how do you manage that sort of like that distance like you want people to be enabled to make the kind of things they weren't able to make before you around but at the same time you've got to keep an eye on them and making sure that they're still doing the thing you bought them to do um which you could argue arcane even though they are obviously a part of the wider bethesda family did not do here they didn't 
you know make good on the arcane promise for as lame as a as as, as a statement as that is to make and for as much as i you know me least of all i'd want to kind of keep studios game studios within their bounds i you know want everyone to be creatively liberated as much as possible and and, and phil also you know talked about that in the sense of um you know, when the game was coming together at the end and from a technical perspective and getting it running at th- uh, 60 frames a second, Phil talked about how he felt like he should have stepped in earlier and leveraged other studios and other resources around the Xbox Game Studios family and said like, oh, these guys at the fucking, the, whatever the studio's called down the road are experts in Unreal Engine. They can come in and help you get that 60 FPS, uh, pose, a 60 FPS mode ready in time for launch and just, some of the things like that that didn't happen, the sharing of learning, the sharing of resources, all of the things that get better and get easier, I'm sure, over time. But in the you know in the grand grand scheme of things, they Xbox probably still feel like they are in the early days of being as large and as diverse as they are. So that's you know those are still in a way teething pains for what is a group of studios that, that has changed a lot over the last. You know, a handful of years, but has yet to kind of really hit its stride. Yeah, and it is. It was. I mean, that it takes us on quite nicely to some of the other elements that they touched on um, in the interview, which was, and it, it's kind of funny when you're, you know, you're a bit younger and you get into arguments about who the who the best sort of or what the best console is, and you know, are you Xbox, are you PlayStation, are you, are you mm-hmm. Nintendo? Um, and you get what do you mean this- when you're younger, Jonesy? Have you opened Twitter <laughs> in the last six months? When, when I was younger, right? When I was younger. Um, but yeah. let's be honest, like in this interview, Phil Spencer's effectively put that argument to bed, like, which is interesting. Let me be specific, though, from a hardware perspective. From a software perspective, I, he's definitely, I think, suggesting it's all to play for. But when he's talking specifically about um, about hardware and about shipping consoles, he had some really interesting quotes. Um, so, for example, he said that um, Xbox lost the most important generation um, in the console wars, which was the Xbox One generation. He said that effectively now you've got 90% of people that go into places and buy games for a console um, have already made their mind up. They have a digital catalogue already ex- is existing and you're not going to like move anybody uh, or the majority I should say you're not going to move 90% of purchasers by even putting out the best game you possibly could he said it's just not going to happen he even said with like Starfield if Starfield was an 11 out of 10 game everyone said it was the best game they'd ever played he was like no one's selling their PlayStation 5 and moving to Xbox which is yeah. a surprising level of honesty again from, but maybe that's the, tr- he's the CEO. Like he knows this, he knows the numbers. I think when he says it, we've got to take that as like, okay, yeah, no, wow. Yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, I, mean, I think he's right. Don't you? No, no, I do. But I suppose I'd never thought about it in so clear cut sense. Because he even references, there was a time in the past when it was possible to every console generation to actually shift a whole bunch of people from one to the other and move everything around. Yeah. But he's, he's now saying that's, those days have gone. And there's no such thing as the clean slate. You you've already lost the most of the audience. So how do you um, how do you then deal with that going forward? But then that actually probably informs us on why Xbox are making the moves they are, and why they seem to be much more software focused, and why they're trying to be support like customer focused in the other end, and yeah. not not as caring as much about the hardware, which is probably the way to go because the position he thinks they're in. 
Absolutely. And like, and for as much as, you know, we're talking about the position he thinks they're in, I, I, I would go so far as to say it's just the position they are in and yeah. that the, you know, the, you know, the different variables that impacted the console race so drastically, you know, two or three generations ago, which console released first, which console released, you know, 100 or, or $50 cheaper than the other one. I don't think those are as big a, you know, pendulum swingers as they used to be for the exact reason Phil states is that, you know, ever as soon now that so many things have gone digital and so many things are live, we feel more and more ingrained into the ecosystems we're a part of. The places like that Phil Sped said that we've built our digital libraries of games, that we've built our friends lists, that we've got, you know, our trophy collections and our achievement collections. It's very hard for most people. I, certainly I can speak for myself, even as someone who last owned an Xbox around the exp uh, the time of the Xbox One X. I could never cold turkey sell my PS5 and move over to a Series X. Like it would just be extremely difficult, and and it, I feel like I'd be worsening my overall gaming experience, even if I was changing the software lineup available to me. And like you said, that's why they're pushing into uh, software. You know, their focus on not just software but also services makes a lot of sense. That's why you know their their constant support and their refusing refusal to give up on the PC continues to make sense because. You know, as something that Phil has been a, a drum that Phil has been banging for many years now, and that he is still banging, and he has not given up on, is that he, you know, that old sort of adage that gaming is better when everyone can play whatever they want, whenever they want, and wherever they want. And I think that Xbox are going to continue to explore that direction, and they're going to continue to look at every other platform, not just the PlayStation and the Nintendo Switch, but things like, you know, the Steam Deck and the, you know, in this very interview that we're talking about, um, Phil Spencer had the uh, the ROG or the ROG Ally handheld behind him. Like, they, I think they're going to continue to put support these things. They're going to continue to find ways to probably get, like, some version of a Game Pass running natively on certain devices. I don't know about Linux support for the Steam Deck, but um, certainly as far as, you know, uh, like the ally is concerned i think you know uh installing and running game pass games natively on a device like that is absolutely a part of their plans and just continuing the amount of places um and growing the amount of places they can reach people um and and it's not it's not going to work for them in, in a console race but again like what i think phil is trying to distance himself from is the idea that a console race or a console war even exist and like it's been funny because the quote you just gave about Starfield being an 11 out of 10, not being able to um, you know, shift people away from PlayStation 5. Some hardcore people on Twitter this week have interpreted that as sort of defeatist language, as Phil Spencer almost giving up, saying, oh, it doesn't matter how good the games we make are, nothing's going to happen. Like, kind of, and it, it, I, I just don't see it that way. I just don't, I think that what Phil is saying is that the software is important, making great games is important. We're just not doing it for the reason that you think we're doing it, or that traditionally you think we're doing it. Yes. There is no console war. The objective for Xbox <coughs> isn't to fucking ground PlayStation into the mud until it's just a mark underneath its boot. The objective for Xbox is just to, is to keep, growing, keep growing as a business, keep remaining profitable where possible, and keep reaching more people with its services and its software, wherever they may be and whatever they're playing on. Yes, no, I completely agree with you. I, I don't find what he was saying to be defeatist at all. I almost think it was mm -hmm. just like people would think it's almost like he, he they're thinking in a different way to what some of the um, their customers or the people supporters or even people against them were thinking. Um, there was an interesting point um, you flagged to me in in the interview, um, to specifically to do with their their software catalog, which is obviously 
what they're more seem to be more focused on going forward, which was um, one of the hosts actually said, uh, you know, during your showcase, you had a 12 month plan and you didn't necessarily deliver on the plan with all the games. And Phil Spencer actually interrupted to say, no, um, there's no necessarily about it. We didn't deliver, which is yeah. again, like is, yeah, to, to come out and say that is, is, it shows awareness that we know they have, but often they are cagey about. But to actually say, yeah, no, we didn't deliver, at least they're being open about it, which suggests that maybe they are doing more to fix that, you'd hope, behind the scenes. Yeah. Which I think that actually puts them in an interesting position. I heard something recently, which is um, an idea that if you're in a half, if you're in an okay place and you're doing all right, sometimes it's worse than doing badly. Because you'll kind of just carry on with with mundanity, and so, for example, let's say let's say the console market um, in general starts to dip down, and there's other things start to come online, other services start to come online. If you are the top dog in the console market, you might be happy for longer because you're sort of in this sort of um, it's it's still ticking along, you're still doing okay. But actually, you could find that Xbox being at the bottom of that that pack of Nintendo and, and PlayStation. Um, actually say to themselves, no, we're losing, so we need to do more. We're, we're doing badly. Let's do more to do to change where we're at, which might make, force them to do better, in which case you might have Sony and Nintendo don't because they're like, no, no, we're fine. We don't need to change anything. So in 10, 20 years' time, you could actually find that it was a, a benefit to Xbox and, and trying to push the envelope and change what they do. And, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which is... It, like- I was going to say, I think if any if anyone tried to approach Phil Spencer and said, you're resting on your laurels and you're happy being in last place and you're not doing anything to change it, the first thing that he would uh, point to is that the fact that they are in the middle of trying to uh, close off a $70 billion acquisition. Like, Xbox is not a team or a platform that is sitting around, you know, with its thumb up its ass, hoping that they continue, that, like, continuing to be in third place in terms of hardware sales, is going to sustain the business and they'll be able to stick around for the sake of sticking around. They're actively trying to grow. They're actively trying to, you know, find other means of generating revenue. Um, and they are in the process of spending money to theoretically make money. They're just not doing it on the battlefield that you've spent the last few years arguing with people on Twitter about. And I, I know that hurts. I know that it hurts your pride when you're all. When I'm not doing this is the royal you, Jonesy. This is <laughs> you person. I know it hurts your pride when like you've built your identity about be, around being the biggest Xbox fanboy, and your banner on Twitter is is an Xbox banner, and you're constantly dreaming of the day when the pendulum sp- swings back the other way, and the Xbox 720 sells 150 million units in its lifetime, and that's double what the PlayStation 7 sells, but. That's the, the future for Xbox is different now. Other battlefields are there to, to fight on, um, and you just have to kind of wrap your head around that reality. And that's why, again, as you just said, like nothing about what Phil said, it's realistic, but nothing about it was pessimistic or defeatist. And no, he shouldn't fucking stand down. No, oh God, no. I, th- I think the opposite. I think for, for you've actually heard someone being... Um, like really open and saying, no, look, we're we're identifying the problems. I mean, he, and he even said in this that there's a bunch of processes that they need to address, um, and that they need to uh, reassess how they, you know, conduct themselves with with certain game releases and things. Um, for example, he was talked about how they do mock reviews and how they um, get people to review games before they're released, so they have at least an idea about where a game is going to be placed with the critics when it comes out. And they said that with Redfall, unfortunately, the, um, the mock reviews were like double digit higher 
than they the game got when it was actually released to critics and the fact that it was um, in a low 60s was he said they no point did they intend to release a game that scored in the low 60s and maybe maybe they I mean well maybe that goes against what he said earlier maybe he would have delayed it for a bit to try and squeeze a few more points well, no, out if that actually, was the case but I actually think it backs up what he said earlier because he's while he is being ambiguous with double digits there are a lot of numbers that only have two digits <laughs> I also think that double digits could, in a lot of times, for someone as savvy as Phil Spencer, it's probably just a careful way of saying some a number that's around ten, like yeah. ten to twelve, thirty, like thirteen. You don't mean eight. 30. You don't mean sixty. Exactly. <laughs> and so when you're talking about a game that reviewed in the low sixties, and you're saying, "Oh, well, our mock reviews were double digits higher," that means they brought mock reviewers in, and the mock reviewers were like, "Yeah, we see this being like a seven point five. And Phil Spencer pressed the big green button. Yeah. So there's still an implication there that like there was an, an awareness and an acknowledgement that Redfall hadn't executed on everything that they hoped it would, and that they were releasing a mediocre, well, in the eyes of today's you know consumers, a mediocre product into the market. Although, because he did also say that um, they make games that review in the 60s and they make games that review in the 80s. So I do think there was almost an insinuation that, hey, look, if we make if a game is made and it's in the I would maybe sixties is too low, but if we make a game and it is in the seventies, we're still going to publish the game. There's no point. And this was again, I think, when they were talking specifically about delays. The idea being, look, we make games in the seventies. People buy them. We've released them. We're not going to not release a game because it's not a nine out of ten. And yeah. we know that, yeah. and like you said, unless they're going to completely trash everything they've made to that point and start again, which I I, I would be very surprised if they'd said to a studio like arcane do you know what boys i mean i know it does happen but you know they said hey look burn everything we start we're starting from yeah. scratch and, and, and so, sony have been there before like well just while we're you know keeping it you know active on both sides for as much as sony's track record is far better and they have a lot of very reliable studios sony have had moments like days gone or like the order 1886 or like detroit become human which uh, they published i think but they obviously didn't own quantic dream um where, yeah, there probably was a vision, and when things all when push came to shove and those games were, were ready to come out, they were like, oh, it turns out we haven't made another Last of Us or another Uncharted 2, but we're still going to release this game. And in the, you know, in the, and those games do stick out like sore thumbs because Sony and PlayStation track record is so good. But let, let's not pretend that PlayStation haven't been in this exact same situation before where like, well, days student, gone, as, days gone was this kind of exact situation. Day, right? days, gone, days gone was like Sony bend who up until that point had basically been working on PSP games, trying to make a giant open world sons of anarchy meets the walking dead last of us inspired zombie game. And for as much as some people think it's underrated, and I can see that a little bit, they still did sort of flood their lines a bit. And because, and and, and Sony would have been in the exact same situation. Like, there's no delaying Days Gone until it's not Days Gone. It's Days Gone. So let's release it. You know, and... Uh, here's a question. If, so, if, you, if Sony are in the same position as Xbox, do, do you see any, a situation where... I don't who's the who's the equivalent from Sony? I don't even oh Jesus, I don't even know a PlayStation. What do you mean the Oh Jim Ryan? Jim Ryan. Yeah. It's, it, would you, can you see Jim Ryan doing this, going on a podcast and being this candid and saying like No. I can't no. at all. Jim Jim Ryan scarcely even gives interviews and when he does they're under very controlled circumstances and he usually gives the most frustrating and like Jim Ryan has said some really stupid stuff 
even like in the most PR controlled environments imaginable before. So the idea of Sony, um, you know, Sony's PR team letting him off the leash on a podcast, I don't think they'd ever <laughs> let that happen. He'd say something really dumb. Like, be fun, he, he, he went on a whole speech once where like he said that he was talking about um, backwards compatibility and stuff like that. Um, and talking about how he saw a bunch of Gran Turismo games lined up next to each other, and he was looking at like Gran Turismo 2 and 3 and thought to himself, no one wants to play these games anymore. Look how bad they look compared to... like Just completely missing the point of why people like old games and why people like emulation and backwards compatibility and um, why you should, hey, do some amount of work to uh, to keep older titles relevant and not just say, but look at the one with better graphics. Um, that's great i love that jim Jim ryan's brain works for anyone wants a bit of insight (laughs) that's that's brilliant though that's like yeah just to like slag off a whole like subset of your uh perspective perspective audience by going why would you want to play that old crap look at the new graphics the new graphics are so much better (laughs) that that is great um like interestingly i saw they haven't you know, something that Xbox don't do, but um, just as a little uh, uh, unit sales, just a bit of insight, the PlayStation 5 is nearing 40 million units sold and the uh, the Switch has sold more than 122 million units. But of course, Microsoft doesn't make uh, public its figures of how many um, money Xboxes it has actually sold. So we don't even know um, how far behind in third place it is. It might not be that bad. I can't imagine it's that bad. I can't imagine it's like... Uh. You know, million miles away from from Sony, but I can imagine yeah. it's I can imagine it's enough to make them feel a little bit insecure about how their hardware does. Um, I think maybe a little bit of insecurity, but then I also kind of believe what Phil says when he's when he almost implies that like there's not that much insecurity and there's just a kind of like a, a realism around the situation. I think they were probably also. Um, if if they if there was any concern about the disparity, maybe helped a little bit in when it came to uh, console shortages and the ability to just walk into a shop and pick a PlayStation Five off the shelf, as we talked about last week, which maybe inhibited PlayStation's ability to tear away uh, from the pack just a little bit. And then, I mean, Nintendo are just obviously they're on a different cycle, and the Switch has been in the market for many years longer than the PS Five or the Series S and X, but even still, they just appear to be in a world of their own at times. So. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what um, Xbox and PlayStation think about when they look at Nintendo other than, oh, it turns out we don't need to put our games on sale ever. Um, I, what other lessons are there to be learned? Nintendo, yeah, man, Nintendo's weird, though. It's like they've just got a... They have a finger on the pulse of chi- what children really like, and they can just do it, like, ad nauseum. They can just pump it out. Like if, yeah. if you- and children that never grew up. With money oh, absolutely, absolutely! Like I'm, I'm one of those kids that, uh, yeah, like Nintendo's Nintendo, and I, I, I still think it's like a different thing because it's ridiculous. Yeah. How can you just sell the same game for like two years, still the same price? It never goes down in price, and people still buy it. Like it doesn't make any sense to me, but they do it. They just do it all the time. Oh, yeah. like they just, and they just like oh we've made the we've made a new game. You're like, but dude, isn't that the same as the game that you had in the last system? Like, yeah, it's the same. Okay, is it cheaper? No, no, it's just, it's just, it's more expensive. Yeah, more expensive. Like, like they they still haven't made a new uh, numbered Mario Kart game, despite having sold 122 million units of the Switch. It's still just the deluxe version of the Wii U one because they said, "Well, we made a good Mario Kart game. No one bought it. Let's re-release it as a deluxe version." And admittedly, they have now made DLC tracks for it to get a guess a bit more leverage out of it. But 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is still like one of the top 20 to selling pieces of software uh, globally. I, in my mind, Nintendo headquarters is just like Scrooge McDuck's house. <laughs> they're, they're not actually doing any work because they don't they don't make enough games for them to be doing any work they just have massive like rooms filled with different stuff and they just jump in it and float around and occasionally uh, they'll wander into the development room and someone's making a game and they're like i've made uh i've updated that that new wii uh wii u game so it works on the switch and like well done and then they go and dive in another bloody vat of liquid gold or honey or some shit yeah. At the moment, they're currently swimming around the uh, in the movie room, and uh, turns out someone's just uh, repainting, giving the uh, the door to the Legend of the Zelda, Legend of Zelda room a fresh coat of paint before they go and dive in that. <laughs> to be to be fair, I'll have, yeah, I'll have a completely different opinion. In is it? Well, blimey, when will it? When's it? It's next week. Will um, yeah. Zelda have come out by then? So yeah, yeah. like uh, next week, I'll be singing about singing the praises about how amazing Nintendo are and how groundbreaking and how they keep pushing the envelope. But until yeah. then. I'm going to make jokes about the fact that they can't, they never make new games. They just make shitloads of money. That's it. That's it. They're like, we don't make games. We make money. <laughs> it's like, well, all right. I mean, it's not a bad place to be. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you got everyone else beat. Just so loaded. Um, but no, yeah, it, um, I think we've covered pretty much everything that Phil mentioned on the interview. It was, um, it was, it was very insightful. Should I give, should I give everyone the, the verbatim quote to sort of put a nail in the coffin of the console wars? Um, this Phil said, yeah, go for it. we're not in the business of outselling Sony or out consoling Nintendo. There isn't really a great solution or win for us. And I know that will upset a ton of people, but the truth of the matter is that when you're in third place in a console market and the top two players are as strong as they are, and certain cases have disc- have a discreet focus on doing deals and other things that will, that make being Xbox hard for us as a team. Our vision is everyone on console has a great experience and they feel like a first class citizen. What's fun about that quote is he acknowledges that they're third place. He also has a cheeky dig at Sony and Nintendo, <laughs> which Sony is fair. Especially, Sony especially, yeah. a, a discreet focus on doing deals. Yeah, Sony, absolutely. Yeah. But no, but the fact that they, hey, look, they are focused on uh, everyone getting a first class, um, you know, experience when it comes to console. And yeah. long may that continue for, um, absolutely, it's better for all of us. Looking forward to the uh, the showcase next month, where we you know get an, another twelve uh, month plan laid out in front of us, and then of course, as Phil said a number of times in the um, in that interview in that podcast, then the kind of the you know the excitement and the anticipation shifts from seeing those games and finding out they exist and and hearing about them for the first time to actually being able to play them and having that moment when controllers are in hands be the moment where people actually start to. Um, you know, I guess reinsert their trust into Xbox and the future um, for Xbox under Phil Spencer. That's the, that's the bridge they need to cross next, is they just need to put more games in people's hands and good games at that. Yes, no, absolutely. That, that Yeah, no, 100%. That, that is the what they need to do going forward. It was, it was the last, obviously, that 12 month ago, that showcase, that was the one where they were like, you will play all of these games in the next 12 months, wasn't it? That was, that was yeah. a big thing. And we were all sort yeah. of saying, that's mad. Like, they're actually saying, don't worry, you're all going to get to play these games in the next, which I suppose that kind of makes me worry a little bit for the fact that if they pulled that same kind of shtick again, we're all going to go, yeah, maybe we won't. But, yeah, well, that, that, that's what that's what Phil said, is that, like, if you when you watch the... Um, 
the podcast, he talks about the the upcoming showcase and talks about how excited he is for it based on you know what he knows is going to be there. But he also, as I just hinted at, says that he has an awareness on his side that like you can't just rock up once every 12 months show people a cg trailer for a game and say hey get excited for it and hope that's enough to sustain their interest until the next time you do it like at some point products have to come out and people need to see that that the time and energy and excitement they put into those games uh, on on the consumer side was worth it and that the time and resources and money put in on the developer side was worth it and you have a happy harmony and marriage of the two and and you know all sides are satisfied but that gets hard to do when um i mean uh, i think it's uh, paris in in the in the uh, podcast who mentions a bunch of games it's just like how are we supposed to be excited about fable at this point how are we supposed to be excited about contraband and perfect dark and these things that like until they're tangible again just feel like vaporware almost um like you can't just come back, show us another CG Fable trailer without a date on the end, and say we promise Fable is still a thing. Like especially not when the most recent thing on our mind is minds is Redfall. Um, and so that's going to be a difficult thing for Xbox to balance, um, for sure. Here's a question I'll spin out to you and to um, our audience watching live right now on YouTube. Um, let me know what you reckon in the comments. Do you think, based on Redfall and based on Phil Spencer's performance in this podcast and how open he's being, do you see a possibility that Starfield gets delayed again to make sure that they it comes out as slick as humanly possible? Because they can't. Because if they if they now release Starfield and it had any, like let's say, let's say it was just had a slightly buggy launch, even if it's an amazing game, like it's going to mean that some people, Sony fanboys. Are gonna are gonna go see? Look, Xbox do have done it again. Like, do they? Do you see a, a delay maybe for Starfield? Mean, my, my my gut reaction, just based on kind of like the state of video games at the moment, is just never say never. Like, you can never be sure. Um, and I, but I think it depends on the extent and and how egregious those problems are. And it will also depend on that same conversation we just had about you know like vision versus like polish. It, and would it, would it well, even matter? Yeah. Exactly, and while Phil Spencer um, put Starfield in the same column as Halo Infinite and a different column to Redfall in that matter, that's Phil Spencer, the CEO of Xbox Game Studios, talking about the game that their entire calendar year is essentially going to hinge on. Like, of course he's going to talk it up. So, like, we don't know until nearer the time, you know, what the use case for a delay will be. Um, And when it comes to, you know, how buggy something is when it comes to even performance... I'll be honest, I think the way things are going at the moment, and while there have been a lot of like very major kind of controversies surrounding games like Redfall and it was, you know, Star Wars Did I Survive just a week before that, and there have been others across the year, you know, PC ports of games like um The Last of Us Part One and, and Forspoken and the PC port of Hogwarts Legacy and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's been a big talking point this year. I still think that there is a window that they are happy to operate within that contains a certain amount of bugs and performance issues. Um, but they're, but they're probably thinking about it now more than ever. And if you told me that there was one more delay for Starfield because they were so frightened about the optics of launching without a 60 FPS mode and someone, you know, the lead programmer turned around and said, if you give me six months, I'll give you that mode. I can see a world where it gets delayed again, but I, I think the Xbox will do everything in their power no matter how many people they need to hire, no matter how many studios they say, drop that and go over there. Um, 
I think they'll do everything in their power to hit that release date this window, just because it's such a key tactical spot ahead of the launch. Um, you know, as to launch a game around the Christmas period. There's so few other things happening first party Sony wise. I think between now and then, that Forza Motorsport reboot we presume is just about the only other major AAA title we're going to see from them. Like their year needs it, and if it doesn't have it, that's a fucking that's a PR disaster that they really need um, a massive 2024 to turn around. Um, and I think they keep they kept tabs on things, and it helps that you know Redfall hasn't like Redfall makes a lot of noise in a very small area. And we exist in that area. Pod listeners to this podcast exist in that area. But like, I can't talk to my friends at work. Well, actually, that's a bad example. I can't. Talk <laughs> to my, I can't talk to my my friends on PlayStation who I play FIFA with about Redfall. They'd all go, "What the fuck is Redfall?" And who right. the fuck is Arcane? So that helps, but that changes when you're talking about uh, BGS and Starfield, which is the first new IP in a long time from the developers of the recent Elder Scrolls and Fallout games. Um, there's a, again, there's a lot to consider there and a lot to unpack, and I just think that that Xbox will be doing, every, I'm sure right up to this very second that we're talking, everything in their power to find the balance between we need that game to come out, be well-received, not be on fire, but also we really feel like we can't delay it again if we can avoid that at all costs. Uh, There's a couple of people in chat saying, if it is delayed, it'll be a six-month delay, uh, and then someone's, it is going to be delayed. But that there are a lot of broken games oh. nowadays, which is absolutely true. So, yeah. Yeah. But that is also a nice little segue to um, give a shout out to some of the people watching us live in chat right now and to shout out some of the patrons. But I would like to shout out Rodrigo, uh, Low Point Fair, uh, Jose A, H. Sanders, who else we got? The Funky Penguin, uh, Davnat Coburn, the uh, person with the hardest name to say, but I always screw up, but I didn't. And Peter Wilson watching live on YouTube. YouTube, So shout out to everybody. Um, but I would also, without screwing this part up, I would also like to give a shout out to some of our patrons. You can see some names on screen right now. These are people that have gone over to patreon.com forward slash super show and have um, deigned us with um, uh, some money to help keep the lights on, help this this show keep on rolling. And I would like to read out um, a few names for you. They are Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Cole K, Ice Nort Rock Salt, Jesper Camdown Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Pastors Guild, and the big dogs, the members of the board. I am talking Brett Z, aka Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Reed, Manuel Guerrero, and Pease Wad. Thank you, everyone, for supporting us. Um, thank you for uh, uh, being there, keeping the lights on, especially in Absolutely. these troubled times when we are one fiery little South African down. Um, <laughs> shout out, shout we're, out to we're Chris. We're trying, folks. Yeah, shout out to Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ooh. But um, no, thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. Um, Jamie, I need, yeah. I need, I need a little catch up. I need to know what you've been watching, what you've been playing since the last time we spoke. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, most of it has been uh, Star Wars in the form of Star Wars a Jedi Survivor, which I think I played a little bit of this time last week. I think mm. I checked in on like the first couple of hours. I'm significantly further now. I am, um, again, based on my interpretation, at least of the narrative, I'm approaching the end of the game. If I've got that wrong, then I'm curious to see what twists and turns await me. Um, but yeah, I've got, to, I've got to the point where I am 99% sure I have 
visited all the various locations that Star Wars Shadow Survivor takes place in. I've unlocked all of the abilities um, and that they you know traversal and exploration, so on and so forth. So yeah, I, I'm think I'm getting to the point where I've seen everything it has to offer, and my feelings are on it are actually uh, very very positive. Um, I think it's a I think it's a great game. Um, I know that there's a, a there are a lot of problems out there. Uh, Redfall kind of took a lot of the heat away off of uh, Star Wars: <laughs> that's, Survivor. That's such a good point. I didn't even think of it yeah. like that. But, um, but let's not pretend those problems aren't there. And if that means that you know you out there watching or listening to this don't want to play it, like have a problem with playing it, or like or want to wait, or like all that stuff is still totally justified because those problems still exist. There's been one patch um, since launch day, and it did basically nothing on consoles on ps5 at least um so we're still talking about a game that's in a pretty rough and ropey technical state and everything we talked about last week on that front still applies i just think that it's like it's you know it is it's one of those really solid sequels do you remember like was it two or three gen- basically the, the xbox 360 and the ps3 generation we kept kind of having it being in that great loop that great cycle of studios that would kickstart a new ip or a new franchise a new series they'd make something you know new from the ground up um and it was often exciting or interesting but maybe not explored the the you know to the fullest extent and then they'd be able to explore that territory in a sequel when they knew that you know that 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 groundswell of support was there for the title and they could just expand on everything they'd done so well the first time and you we got during that generation we got assassin's creed 2 and we got arkham city and we got um, Mass Effect 2 and we got Uncharted 2 and we got Saints Row 2 and we got Dead Rising 2 and we got Dead Space 2 and just all of these 2s that just kind of took the original and ran yep. and there's a bit of that going on here um, in, a, in a positive way it's it's far from flawless um, but I think what I like about it is just I mentioned last week how all the core pillars of the game in terms of traversal, exploration, combat we're all still there and well accounted for. I like the way that they expand on those over the course of this game. Some of the directions they take, uh, combat to a certain extent with some of the new stances, which have been revealed in, in pre-release material, but I won't say just for anyone that's going cold turkey, but especially traversal. Um, there were some sequences that almost felt like there was something more out of Celeste than than a Star Wars game. You know, you remember in, in Titanfall 2, which is, of course, also a respawn joint, there were times where they were, weren't afraid to say, hey, here's just like a 30 to 60 second traversal challenge filled with wall running and dash jumps and all that kind of stuff. And like, you just got to be able to do it. Uh, there's a pleasant amount of that in Jedi Survivor that makes they, use of some of their new abilities. Are they as buggy as they were in the, in the original? There's still a bit of jank. Um, but they just about make it work. There's definitely still something about watching Cal going from his sprint animation into a double jump, into a wall run, into like another, and you're like, there's something here that looks a bit funky, the way it almost <laughs> clicks into, but it wasn't for yeah. me. For me, it was more like uh, some of those sequences, and m- to be fair, most of them were fine. Most of them were, were, were great, but there were some of the bigger ones where you'd be sliding down something and then you'd have to like jump at the last minute. And yeah. I di- and I, I would die. Towards you or something. Yeah, and I would die like 10 times on the same bit. And I'm like, I, I literally have no idea what I'm doing wrong here. And then it would be, and it was just nothing. It was just for some reason when when I was hitting jump, it wasn't jumping properly and it was bugging out. And then the, okay. the, well, the 11th time it would work, which I was like, okay, <laughs> which I found a little bit frustrating. But it, I mean, maybe that happened twice in the whole game. It wasn't like a, it wasn't, you know, something that was, was laden throughout the whole thing. So I shouldn't. I definitely haven't had any of that. Like 
I haven't died more than like once in certain like re- required sort of like traversal sections that were maybe like a part of the story mode or something like that. So um, is the is the combat um, more forgiving and less um, Dark Soulsy, or is it still does it still feel the same way with the boss fights and things? I think especially when you narrow it down to boss fights, which are kind of like the purest distillation of that style of combat, uh, it still feels like one of those games. You know, it's still when you're when you're in a boss fight, you're still locking onto someone, you're still trying to learn their tells, you're learning which moves you can parry, which moves you can't, and so you have to dodge. You know, you're trying to like get down their sort of like meter, their kind of like stamina meter, I guess, or whatever they call it in game, to get hits in on them. Like it it's still like that. What I'd say is you have a few more options. There are now a number of different stances. Um, again, I, I, I don't know what's considered a spoiler because they did explore this stuff before the game came out. But there are five different stances. The three that you start with are single lightsaber, double-ended lightsaber, and dual-wielding lightsabers. There are two more, and and you can equip two at a time and switch between them um, on the fly, like even in the middle of a fight. So that gives you some kind of like leniency to choose the way you play a little bit more there's one that and, i know about but i don't want to say it just in case it is a spoiler because yeah like, like I, I, we're probably thinking of the same one <laughs> probably it's like maybe it's I, like, I don't know i don't i don't think that's a spoiler because like that in in the key put it this way in the key art like <laughs> yeah. I think even on the box cover cal has something on his hip <laughs> i know it yeah, yeah, yeah it'd be weird if he didn't use that um <laughs> And uh, but the way they kind of break that stuff out is like obviously certain stances like that one that we may be alluding to yep. are much better for controlling range. Others right. have different like others have better defensive kind of like um, qualities. Other have more speed based qualities. So you can kind of say to yourself, and there's one the one that we haven't hinted at at all that is actually extremely slow. Um, right. It's like you have to be very deliberate. Almost makes the game feel even more souls like. So you can kind of pick your way around those and <sighs> customize your experience to an extent. But anyone that like, you're still gonna you know get on your knees at these um, at these resting points, and you're still gonna rest, and it's still gonna respawn all the enemies around you that you've already killed, and you're still gonna go out there, and you're still gonna be you know timing your blocks and parrying things and locking on to enemies and all those things you were doing before. Let me put it out there, Jamie. I died a fair amount to bosses in um, Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, so am I, am I going to be dying a fair amount to bosses? I mean, there, there are five difficulty levels, is the other thing I'll say. So if okay. you select to the right one for you, then that would probably help. Um, Interesting. I can't remember if Fallen Order had them or not. Um, it, my guess is that if you put this on the um, the default difficulty setting... It's got to be default. Yourself, Always default. If you, if you put it on default and were stubborn about it, you will probably die as many times as you did in Fallen Order. Okay. Which, which is, is it, it's acceptable. I can take that for a, to, to maintain yeah. a level of difficulty. I have died plenty, but I will say that I have found bosses in the open world that have killed me in one or two strikes, and I've gone, okay, I think I'm not supposed to be here yet. Right? Yes. You know. Um, so, I've, like, yeah. I think I've, I, in Fallen Order, I found a few like a uh, big, um, roving like lizard monster thing, frog things that I was, yeah, I'd yeah. Like, I'm going to hack you up. And then I'd be like, Oh, I died in one hit. I think I'll maybe come here later. Cause this that's was- still present and accounted for here. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think that the, the shift, uh, I'll just quickly say, I think the shift over to larger, more explorable environments, um, it overall benefits the game. There are some sort of like Metroidvania frustrations where you're like, 
wandering down this path, just trying to explore for the sake of exploration, and then you come across a bunch of stuff that you can't get through, right. and then you get the ability to get through it, so you go back there and you go through it, and then you find that behind that was another thing you can't get through yet. And there have been a few times uh. where like that was been frustrating, but that's that's that comes with the territory when you make a Metroidvania inspired game that has sort of semi open world quality. So I understand that. Um, the other thing that I'd say is surprising about the game is like they really did try to kind of grow the amount of content that exists beyond those core pillars. Um, and a lot of those, like these really uh, interesting systems that kind of all link up in unique ways, like. Uh, there's a planet you arrive on very early on where uh, Grease from uh, the pilot from Fallen Order has set up um, like a, a bar, I guess. Um, and it turns out that when you do other uh, rumors, which is what the game called side missions around the universe, you can meet people and convince them to come back and and hang out at Pyloon Saloon. And they, right. of course, physically go back there and you can go and talk to them. But some of them also offer various... Um, Sort of like are in, are in, entwined with certain systems. So there's a person that you meet that allows you to, um, well, you don't even need to meet this person to start it, but they enable it later and down the way. Start a garden on the rooftop of the saloon where you can find seeds from around your way and start planting these seeds that grow in real time and like create your own garden. You find a pair of musicians that move into the saloon and you can, they can play music that you find for them. You find, mm. I wouldn't say too much, but you find a scuba diving alien who you then meet around the world and he becomes attached to these um, uh, collectibles in the form of fish. But then when you get those fish, it's not just a tick in the menu. There's also an aquarium in the saloon that you can go back and see the fish swim around in, in real time and like maintain the tank and it gets dirty over time. <laughs> There's like a whole... like Some of not- those... Some of those ideas are from Fallen Order, aren't they? Like you, with on the ship, you could do that sort of stuff. But that's really nice to hear they've expanded yeah, it expanded, and they've, they've yeah. made it bigger. No, I but there's a there's a bounty system that works similarly. There's a there's these people that you meet that uh, set up a hollow tactics game that you can play in the saloon. But the units that are available to you in the hollow tactics game are based on units that you've actually scanned while playing the game. So it's this double whammy mm. of like if you kill something big and scan it, yeah. you can go back and use it as a unit in this game within the game. Like there's a lot of things that are like oh there's a surprising depth to some of these systems or just the way that they're all intertwined becomes quite engaging. That. that- one thing that frustrates me about that kind of thing is why can't I just plug that straight into my brain and just hang out in there like I'm actually there and just for a couple of hours I just want to sit there and just like look at the fish and just listen to the music if if you're happy to swap out your brain for a pair of VR goggles I would say that (laughs) that kind of uh, service is kind of probably already available but just maybe not quite as tailored to your needs as um, could. Total honesty, I have before now sat on the floor in my office with my VR headset on in like a nice warm uh, like forest environment, just listening to the sounds and looking around and wowing at VR and being like, oh my God, I want to live here. It's like <laughs> ASMR for the ears and the eyes. It is, it is. You just need um, someone there with a, a branch just to occasionally like just rub it against the side of your face and then you'll feel like you're really there. Uh, hang on, I don't know about, I don't want a branch rubbing my face. Where's that your idea of relaxation? <laughs> I was trying to think like what sort of crap do they do? The I, I did the 4D oh. um, c- uh, cinema thing. Not like, I can't remember yeah, film yeah. I even saw and it was so rubbish. I was, I was genuinely annoyed at the money I'd spent on it because it's just, it like coughs in your face and it splashes some water on you and I'm like, 
why am I? Why did I waste an extra ten quid on this crap? Just be glad that you saw like a Fast and the Furious film rather than a porn film, because I don't want to oh. know what happens at the end of that. Um, that and speaking of porn films, um, maybe not notorious for their um, their their narrative qualities. And uh, one last note I want to make about Jedi Survivor before it sounds like I'm just going over the top positive about it. I think the main narrative is really um, uninspired. I think there are engaging right. characters and sub-stories and arcs that certain characters go on. And I think there are threads that have potential. But I think the cut-and-dry, black-and-white, A-to-B story, like the thing that you're motivated to continue to do, the thing that you uh, it's trying to motivate you to bounce around these planets in search of and, and in, 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 as part of the wider... Like I just think that it's very boring. Um, right, okay. I think it's very boring, uh, yeah. And like I kept waiting for something to unravel some mystery to unravel and like the real reason we were doing all of this to kind of reveal itself but um no i think it's kind of naff that's um, interesting you say that because that was one of the criticisms of hogwarts legacy was like a you know a good looking game a fun game a situation yeah and a, sh- and a boring ass overarching narrative that was like who wrote this shit but interesting yeah and like hogwarts legacy there were fine characters in there and you might get attached to those characters, and that attachment might allow the story to do some interesting things at the end that might, you know, tug at the heartstrings in interesting ways. Um, but that's not a, a an adequate substitute for an actually engaging narrative, like for the grander reason of like who are we and what are we doing and why are we doing this. Um, I think that's one of um, a handful of things about Jedi Survivor that are a bit unsatisfactory, but the overall. If this didn't have any serious technical and performance issues, this would be a, a, a firm recommendation on my part as a game that I think builds upon Jedi Survivor, excuse me, Jedi Fallen Order in a number of uh, smart ways and, and is, a, is a very strong overall package. Uh, it's just a shame that, it, that there are um, still a handful of asterisks that I think need to be applied to that statement. Um, because of that, I, one of the reasons I have to agree with uh, Mr. Cypher Monkey in chat said that they um, don't buy a game for the first couple of months before it comes out. And I am holding off from buying Jedi Survivor. Um, so hopefully by the time I, mean, I jump in, it will be um, it'll be in a maybe slightly better state, but we'll have to see. Yeah, you'll, put it this, you'll have a better time than me. You'll have a better game experience and you'll have paid less for it. That's the fucked up thing. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know. Part of, you know, part of prerequisite of being a committed video game player in in. 2023 is also being a bit of an idiot, at least on occasion. So, and, and you I, know, and you know how much I'm an idiot. So I'm, yeah, it's a was, rare occurrence I, I was for me. Talking about myself, you're you're being smart in this scenario. Don't worry. Um, uh, speaking of smart, can I just also give a quick shout out to Apple Arcade? Of course. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, and I wouldn't, I would totally forgive you for having forgotten, but Apple Arcade is Apple's um, subscription service where you pay in, here in the UK at least it's 4.99 a month. And you get access to um, a library or a catalogue of games that are all obviously completely free with that subscription, but also don't have any ads or microtransactions. Um, For some reason, Apple dropped 20 games in one day the other day, um, and... 16 of them, are, well, only, so only four of them are like completely new uh, original games, but um, I, I think they're actually like, they're, they're worth checking out. One of them is a, um, a new tier uh, roguelite in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles universe nice. called Splinter's Fate, 
and the other one is uh, called What the Car, which is a sequel to uh, What the Golf, for anyone that remembers that, and the PSVR 2 game uh, What the Bat. The other 16 games, they do this thing in Apple Arcade where they call them App Store Greats, and they take games that, uh, hey, because they're App Store Greats and have been around for a long while, are usually free to play. They strip them of all the ads, they strip them of all the microtransactions, they tweak them in such a way so that there's a way that you can, like fulfill the promise of the microtransactions but in the game itself okay and release them on cool. apple arcade so um instead there are a bunch that like one of my favorite like games from like a decade ago it's stupid but i, I love it for all the wrong reasons hill climb racing that was on <laughs> um in there um like games that like you'd be forgiven for not touching because of microtransactions or ad reasons like temple run like that's in there and a bunch of games that didn't have microtransactions or ad problems but just were paid and now are not like octodad and limbo and bennett Foddy's getting over it they all got added in there um nice. I, I just think i just think that apple for, the, for those of you who just who still like the idea of um playing games on your iphone but got put off by the fact that everything went free to play, everything's riddled with ads, everything's riddled with microtransactions and timers and resources and currencies, and just wants a place we can go for a guaranteed, like, get a, a game that's just a fucking game. I think Apple Arcade still continues to be a very solid service for that, that doesn't always justify the monthly payments, but I think the catalogue is now actually in a pretty solid place that, I don't know, I, I, it's worth it to me. That's all I'll say. It's, it's one that I, whenever I have a look, I always find something on there that's decent to play. And then um, and then I'll sort of like go away for a couple of months and then I'll come back to it and be like, oh, okay, there's something else decent to play in here. But no, there's, um, yeah, sounds like there's a few good reasons to check it out. Yeah, 20 to be precise. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's it from me, Jesse. I was going to go, uh, I had a quick, I had a couple of things I wanted to slag off Redfall about and I thought I'd save it for the catch up. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I love it. Let's do it. Let's have a Redfall slag off sesh. Only because so I, I I haven't played loads of it. Like I said earlier, I've played up to the uh, where I've taken over the fire station. I've done that, but I and I know I'm going to get grief for this, and people go, "Oh, you shut up! You, you, you know what you're talking about." But some of the problems with Redfall, and this isn't this is unsurprising to be fair, because it's arcane. Um, I think were things that I didn't particularly like about Deathloop. Um. In just in, because so one of and not not that I didn't like about Deathloop, but I suppose things that if Deathloop hadn't had certain elements, certain mechanics, I could see them being similar problems. Like Deathloop uh, was a, a very smart game, a very well executed game. One that I didn't really get on board with wasn't like um, really my cup of tea, but I could see why people really enjoyed it. The funny mm. thing with Redfall is, I was like, if you took out the intelligence and the uh, the some of the wittiness around Deathloop you kind of end up with Redfall. Which is which was interesting to me because Redfall just kind of felt not that great. And I think so, and often we forgive games that are not that great in maybe everything they do because they're so good at doing other things. And I think that's maybe is where Redfall's fallen down is that they've Arcane have sort of said, um, oh, we can do that. We've seen other people do that, like multiplayer um uh you know, like, oh, attack this point, defeat these enemies, kind of gang up on a big boss kind of thing. Oh, that's easy to do. And when you just put together actually their skill set, um, I think even, I even watched a review and I think someone actually referenced it. I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Skill Up who referenced like the, the shooting on console in Redfall didn't feel that great. Um, but the game itself, uh, was it wasn't such a deal breaker with Deathloop. 
Um, but when you come to a game like Redfall, it it's much more apparent. Um, and yeah, like I like I said, I can't talk at length about it because I haven't played enough of it. But one of the least fun things I did in the whole of Redfall was fight a vampire. I the, the first vampire I fought, I found this dude. He started jumping at me and trying to mush me in the face with his stupid claw hands. Again, like who who's designed the models in this game? They're horrible. And and I just ended up with me running backwards, running backwards and reloading. And he would miss me every time. So I didn't take any down. And it was like, this game is a shit game from like maybe PS3 era, which has had an update on a bunch of stuff, but is not that does not work. And I was immediately like, wow, this game is horrible. Um, so that's my brief review of what I've played of, uh, of Redfall. It's a bummer, isn't it? Especially when you'll have seen this when you first get to that fire station and the tooltip pops up and it's like... So many different ways to play. Go in through the yes. Go in through the side, and you progress another ten minutes, and you're like, I get where you're coming from, but there aren't really that many ways to play. Like they all just involve really badly shooting everyone, and it's almost this weird, like, des like kind of sad, um, desperate attempt to be like, no, we promise, we're still an immersive sim. Like you can still play the way you want to, um, through a tooltip, no less. And then I don't know how you cleared that fire station, but it's like, no, I'm just, so I'm just I, shooting people with guns that don't feel good. So I went in through the roof. I was like, oh, this is this is like Far Cry. Let me go in through the roof. Let me carefully do whatever. And uh, the like, you know, and I started shooting people and was like, oh, this is the dumbest AI I've ever encountered. So I literally just, in the end, I ended up just standing and I could see people with a little question mark over their head who weren't out of my view, who were running around a building. I could just watch them like it was like I had a wall hack on because there was like that, you know, and I just waited till they appeared and then I just shot them in the head from distance with a pistol and was like, oh, this, these are the dumbest AI I've ever encountered. Um, so I ended up just walking around. I just walked around shooting people. I didn't hide. I didn't try and get into cover. I didn't like, uh, and then what, and then I, then I was annoyed because when I did fight the, the vampire and I downed him and he has a couple of minutes where he's like, oh, dazed and you're supposed to stake him. I was like, oh shit, I don't have a stake. So this is going to be interesting. They're going to have to force me to use like a, maybe something in the scenery or something to, like an environmental kill to take out the first vampire. No, they just hadn't told me that the shotgun comes with a stake attached. And when I actually changed the shotgun, I was like, oh, there's a stake on it. And I just walked up to him and staked him. And I was like, this game's just shit because it just didn't tell me something that it should have told me. Yeah, that's that's a pretty rough first impression to make. I can't lie. Also, the graphics—they uh, look like it looks like a VR game. The textures look like they've <laughs> they've made it so that it will run on a v- on VR because it's uh, they you know VR is not as good as most games, and it, it doesn't look that nice. I thought crap. the game looked all right when I first started it, but then I quickly realised I needed <laughs> to lower my settings to make sure my performance was acceptable because some of the uh, frame rates I was hitting on my PC were no bueno. I, I did the same, actually. So, that, so, okay, let me be fair. that I I turned some of the settings down um, to medium, I think, so that I was getting a more mm. stable frame rate. So maybe maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's that I don't have a 4090 um, and uh, a <laughs> 48 gig of RAM. Um, I think if there were to, a game to uh, to buy a new uh, GPU for, Jones, it's probably not Redfall. But... Imagine, imagine you'd bought a 4090 so you could play Redfall and then you're like, yeah, Redfall's from Arcane. It's going to be great. Deathly was my game of the year. And then you sit oh, sit down to play it and you're like, 
give me my fucking money back. Oh, God, that's so depressing, because I just didn't think it could be this bad. Like, I thought at worst that it would be like, Arcane made their own version of Far Cry, and it didn't really work, but it's still quite fun. And it's it, not. It, that's such a low bar that I already set for it, I felt like, and it misses. Yeah, you're right. The, the weird thing is when you say, because obviously a lot of people have made the Far Cry comparison, um, but the thing is, even even if it was like trying to be a Far Cry, it just misses on every level. It doesn't even have the the intrigue and the um, the storytelling sort of chops to uh, get close to you know. Oh no, Far Cry. It's just it's, right, a, though, it's just a boring ass. This is a boring ass game that's unfortunately relies on something which isn't fun as its main sort of element. Yeah, like you, and you're right about like the narrative elements. Like I was shocked at how flat. Both their kind of their weird, like stilted. I guess I, I'm almost tempted to not call them cutscenes. I don't really know what to call them, but they're the way they present the story through these sort of like it's almost like they pause time in engine and put like a blue filter everything and just do these slow pans and zooms on certain characters <laughs> standing in certain positions and it's with a VO over the top. There's a point where you arrive at the fire station, you kill a vampire in the basement and turn the power back on. And that's kind of like the game's way of saying, yeah, you've reclaimed the fire station. This is your new base of operations. And when I got back control of my player, Jacob, I was playing as the dude who gets like the Raven on his arm, um, mm. who scouts stuff out and, the, and eventually gets like a, a sniper rifle, like an invisible sniper. His, he says out loud, uh, time to go and meet the locals. And when you go up and you meet the people and you press square to talk to them, if they don't have anything to say to you, they have one of two responses. It's either, mm, like, mm, or grunt. And, like, so my guys just said, let's go and meet the locals. And you can, yeah, literally, like, go up to people and they just go, mm. Uh, yeah. And then, and then uh, until it's there, your time to actually talk to them for story reasons and they're, they're boring and uninteresting as, as archetypes. They don't have anything interesting to say. And you know, I don't know if you felt the same way or if you, if you were even bothered to sit through those conversations, but you know, an open world game is in a bad spot where you get to that sort of moment where the, you know, in this case, the gate, the gates to the fire station swing open. You're, you're, you're let loose in the open world. You can go in any direction you want. And you sit there and you think, well, I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to play. Like, imagine in Fallout 3, if you emerge from the vault, your eyes adjusted to the sunlight for the first time, the exposure returned back to normal, and you're like, don't really want to play this now. <laughs> imagine turn around and get back in the vault. Yeah, exactly. I don't really fancy exploring any of this. This, um, you know, I'm going to stick back here with the tunnel rats or whatever they're fucking called, the tunnel snakes. <laughs> that, no, that's so true. Like. Yeah, you just see the town in the distance with like the, the unblown up nuke, and you're just like, oh, I'll just, yeah, not, I'll just sit here with the rats. Don't, 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 don't fancy it, actually. Yeah. Oh, that's bit, so true. So a bit, I, I could walk over there, you know, to that thing that's you know trying to catch my uh, my 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 attention on the on the horizon, but uh, <laughs> got a sandwich to make. Thinking about it, um, it is it is depressing, and it is, it's. It is a real shame, and I. So one one of the things, like um, you know, I think the, the, like so, Deathloop, for example, is obviously one of the great things about Deathloop. I think is it captures something that 
from uh, movies and TV and things of that that idea of replaying the same thing again and again and again. And you you almost get to that Groundhog Day point where you know every move you're going to make and that is the beauty yeah. of the game. And you can see why, that. yeah, it's, it's amazing. And it's such a good thing to implement. And it was very well implemented in Deathloop. And you can see why they, they were sort of given a lot of um, credit for that. But then I think one of the problems you've got when you just sort of go, oh no, we're going to go open world as opposed to a game which is sort of carefully curated biomes and things like Deathloop and with like narrative that's running through the whole thing is, and I, and I saw this in some reviews, it's almost like outside of the areas where they have bits where you're supposed to interact and fight, there's just like no one there. It's just like an, a world with nobody in it that you're just walking around that's kind of boring. You can read some notes on the floor if you want, but it's not going to do anything for you. And I read every note. I read every note thinking this is arcane. You know, uh, let me give them some props there. Yeah, you'll get some classic, you know, some high-level arcane environmental storytelling if you... Uh... Maybe there'll be some connected, like, brute paths and it will lead me to something interesting. And then I I was, I've read all of the ones in the first sort of part of the game. And then I watch reviews afterwards that were like, oh, there's no point. You'll just get bored. There's shit. They're, like, they don't do anything. They're just some random extra little bits of story because the game doesn't have much of it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, wow, this is brutal. But... Pretty rough. Uh, Pretty at least rough. we didn't pay for it, right? Exactly. But and, and I did say, I tweeted out on the uh, last week suggesting that Jamie and I will actually hop in and play some together because I would still love to do that. So I think we Absolutely. will need to do, um, yeah. we'll do a Let's Play and we'll, we'll just sort of like have fun and we'll, we'll stream it on the channel so people can uh, not enjoy it with us. <laughs> we'll see how we go with that. Um, something though, Jamie, that we might enjoy, although I don't think I will because it didn't look that good, um, was the trailer for the new Gran Turismo movie, um, which we're all going to get treated to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can tell you love I, it already. I, I was, well, I think I was messaging you and Chris during the week, and I was like, I can't tell if this is the smartest idea or the dumbest idea I've ever seen when it comes to kind of like how to approach a video game adaptation. Um, and I still haven't really decided, but I think I'm leaning towards dumbest. Um <laughs> I'm with you. Even if, as Chris pointed out to us midweek, it is kind of based off something that has its roots in a, a real like concept. I see. I have no idea about the based on true events. I was like, is it or is it that some kid once went in a go kart after and he came first out of his mates? Like, how how based in reality is this yeah. story? So like, we should let people know that. So what we're talking about is yes, that they are making a. A movie based on the video game, the racing simulator uh, Gran Turismo, and what they're doing is rather than just coming up with a story about racing in some way, shape, or form and calling it Gran Turismo, they're making a Gran Turismo game where the Gran Turismo movie, where the Gran Turismo game exists in universe, and it follows a kid who is so extremely talented at playing Gran Turismo, he gets the chance to race for real. Well, it's, um, it's a team of people, right? It's a whole team of gamer kids. But we follow one we follow particular one, yeah. one, one dude who, I mean, none of them look like gamers. There's this joke where like, they're having to go for a job for the first time and one of them throws up. And I was like, <laughs> if this was real, one of these fuckers should be 300 pounds, but okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The, the, the best in the world at Gran Turismo. The, the one thing that kind of really grated on me, and this is a strange thing for me to say, was it was too, it was far too English. Like, I didn't, I just, the fact that, what's his name's in it? Um, uh, Legolas. Orlando Bloom. Orlando yeah. Bloom, looking old as shit, I must say. I didn't, I thought he was kind of a similar age to me, but he looks about 55. But still, still sexy? Yeah, still sexy. He was Orlando Bloom, but I was still, I was just surprised that uh, the, um, what was it? I can't remember what his character's name in print. 
Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, oh, William, is it William something? Oh yeah, it is Swan. Swan, yeah, no, no, Elizabeth Swan, and he is. Oh shit, Elizabeth Swan and William Turner. Turner, William Turner, yeah, um, and Digimon Huson, who I can, I don't know if that's how you pronounce. His Digimon name. Digital Monsters Huson, yeah, <laughs> Digital Monsters Huson, who I love, I will watch because, like, we talked about Shazam last week. He's he's wicked and anything he's in just because how cool his accent is. Um, yeah, so he's gonna be cool, but the the kids in it. There was they had the t- the teenage kid with a far too deep voice who at dinner's like, no dad, I'm gonna be an amazing uh, race car driver, and you're like this this is the power fantasy for the ages where the kid, you know, all the, they want kids to sit at home playing Gran-, Gran Turismo, watch this movie, and go, yeah, one day I could become the greatest racing car driver the world has ever known because I'm really good. It's the COD thing. It's the it's a, when the people play Warzone and then they think in a real war they'd actually do all right. It's that, isn't it? It's the same thing. I mean, I, I think there's a bit more of a one to one between like playing a racing simulator, especially if you, if you have a racing wheel and an actual setup, than playing Call of Duty with a with a bullshit uh, bullshit. I call Bro, massive so, bullshit. So, so, some of, some of those setups that you can get when paired with the right piece of software are. I mean, there's a when 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 Formula One was fucking postponed for COVID, they all just went home and raced from their house with these gigantic setups with wheels and pedals, right. and like you can still do it in such a way where fundamentally you're racing. I think like, that translates. I think that if you yeah. can race in a car and you know everything, and they give you a setup, and obviously you can know the setup if you if you are a gamer and you have a really good rig. But for me, the second you throw someone into a car with G-Force and they're doing 200 miles an hour for real, and it's in 3D as opposed to a screen, I'm like, I... I need to. I need to read more into about the, the which, real. The hey, story. which is why they get the guy from Stranger Things to train them. They don't just go straight from one to the other. The whole film seems to be f- framed around: can someone actually go from a gamer to a racer, right. and how would they match up with, you know, their actual racer rivals? Um, I just, yeah. I'm going to have to watch the film to find out, Jamie. Aren't I? I'm going to. That's what I'm going to have to. Yeah. Do. One person who definitely sounds like he's watching it is 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 our friend Chris. Um, probably just because uh, his fellow South African Neil Blomkamp is, of District Nine fame is directing this bad boy, so I think Chris has a, a like a national obligation to um, to to go and see it. Yeah, no, I I I, I want to see it. Like I'm not saying I'm not going to see it, but I have to say so. In chat, someone's saying um, that the whole game of things has been done um, in real life from uh, gamer to racing. So I'm not suggesting that just because you're a gamer and you're good at the game, you can't also be good at driving. But I'm questioning the fact of if you have no experience driving and you're good at get the game, I think those two things don't like correlate. Does that so make sense? I'm looking up the real thing right now. So the, the real life GT Academy, <laughs> right. also known as Nissan PlayStation GT Academy, which was an academy that provided skilled Gran Turismo players an opportunity to earn a real-life professional racing career with Nissan. If I go to the graduates uh, section, there was someone who... Um, uh, multiple people who ended up competing in the... Michael Schumacher? No. Um, Lewis Hamann? Let me click on a random guy. Nicholas Hamann, who was a, a 2014 uh, graduate from the GT Academy... And he ended up driving uh, in NASCAR for Watkins Glen International. Okay. So professional, uh, a, professional racing car driver. 
yeah, there's a Russian guy who ended up um, doing Blanc, Blanc Pain Endurance Series and FIA GT Series, and then the FIA World Endurance Championship, and then also raced twice in the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I tell you what would be interesting to do would be to take the creme de la creme of Gran Turismo players and then to take uh, a crop of average Gran Turismo players and then give them both training at car racing and then see who fares. Um, yeah. See if there's any difference in how they how they perform because that would obviously be the real... Hey, maybe it would. Maybe like reaction times of the really good Gran Turismo players and, and the ability to remember racing lines and things would actually come into it and they, they would actually ha- be able to... You know, yeah dominate in that for sense sure. for sure for sure i think uh, what i'm what i'm saying here is that like this 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 program definitely produced people who raced professionally um uh it doesn't look like any of them got to ridiculously high levels um, <laughs> do you know what i want to see now i want to see the top fifa players in the world become uh, professional football players I want to see them do oh, that. See, see, that's one of those things where there's just nothing transferable there whatsoever. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. How dare you, Jamie? They they would be the but ultimate. That, that's, but that's where you can see the difference, right? The difference yeah. between playing Gran Turismo with a wheel in your hands and pedals at your feet um, on tracks that exist in real life. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm joking, of course. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, by the way, just because uh, I don't know if this is like an international thing, but like... Um, in terms of like the Formula series, where Formula One is like the top dog, the highest I can see that someone reached from this GT Academy thing is someone uh, raced in Formula Three Europe. Okay, which is pretty high. Like Formula Three is pretty decent still, so that's not too I guess bad. So. so there you go. Yeah, interesting. Okay, um, nice. So yeah, Gran Turismo. Go there day one. Go to the premiere with Chris. Uh, oh, if I've, if we had an offer, I'd always go to a premiere. That'd be wicked. We get offers for in-home premieres. Uh, That's what we get. Turn to the DVD release. And D- yeah. yeah, no, I do those. I do those. I definitely go to the premiere. And then if they ask me to... We, I can't remember. We went to something one time and they asked us to do a reaction after we'd seen something. What the hell was oh, that? Oh, God. They were like, oh, guys, can you give us... Can you say something about how good it was or something? We were like, yeah, it was amazing. And what, they filmed what, it. For, um, like for Instagram or something. Yes, it was. Oh, did we have to do that for some of the? Um, I don't even remember what that was. Stuff for. we worked with. Uh, we worked briefly with Odeon to like in 2019 um, on things like uh, we did uh, Spider Man, uh, Spider Man Far From Home. We did uh, Avengers Endgame, The Lion King, Toy Story Four. There were a bunch of films that we went to. They weren't the premieres, mm. but they were like first public screenings yes it was something like that i can't i don't even remember what the hell it was but no and and that was so cheesy like them having to stand there and be like it was amazing i loved it we had had to take pictures before as well and like i had to take having to take pictures of like chris and steph going like like (laughs) in front of iron man like oh god what a is this the price we have to pay turns out the answer is yes shilling folks it really is it works you know and we paid it gladly for, for access to a <laughs> premiere of a mediocre film. Hey, so, yeah. you know what? I, I was glad I did that for Avengers Endgame in particular because I probably wouldn't have dragged my ass to the cinema for that. And being like, they, those crowds, because of the nature of those events, were like a weird mixture between like respectful of the occasion and so not being idiots and like talking or being on their phones, but also excited because they were like they were brought in because they were fans so they were like cheering and screaming which i usually don't like but right. because it's 
Revengers Endgame, and I think it's silly anyway. I was like, actually, this is fun. <laughs> like, yeah, the whole the whole screening should like lose their heads when Captain America holds Thor's hammer or something. <laughs> you know, no, nah, that would have that would have been cool. I I saw um, uh, like a premiere for Blood Drive, which was some weird like <laughs> Blood Drive. It was some weird TV show um, where. Oh. The, the, it was almost oh, I can't remember the premise of it but they had to drive it was like a cannibal run where you had to drive from one place to another but they had was there like a weird point where you it was almost like uh, people died in it and you know they got the cars had weird mods so that they could uh, chop parts out of vehicles and I want to say that they they had like their blood that they had a, a, a tube coming out of their vein connected to the car it sounds like yeah, the, the 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 cars run on human blood. Yeah, and there's some weird shit like that. So they had to like mulch people up and put them into the cars and things. Oh Jesus! But it was yeah, it was actually quite a cool show at first. I think it was like Sci-Fi Channel or something like that. And we went to um, uh, we got to go to like the premiere screening at a little cinema where they put it on, and it, we got to watch like the first two episodes. And they they brought us like, like Bloody Marys, like cocktails, and we had. <laughs> you know, snacks and stuff. And it was, it was great. And I ended up watching like nearly the whole series when it actually released. And, um, and it just unfortunately went far too family friendly. Um, it was almost oh, to the point where uh, you expected a bit more like sex, nudity, rock and roll. And it was a bit too much like, Oh, we can't show that. Or oh, gotta be more careful. And it got canceled, unfortunately. So then well, we now don't. we know why not enough tits, not enough tits, put more tits, more blood, more gore. They should, instead of inviting you to like the fan screening, they should have invited you to the critic screening, or just like even maybe even before the critic screening, just like the internal test screening, so you could have said too family friendly, and then maybe they could have got a season two out of it. Jeez, I I would I yeah I could have massively helped them with their uh, production on Blood Drive. They would have loved it. I would have said, come on, more blood, more tits, more dicks for the people that want it, and get some more uh, some swearing in there, and just go mental. Yep. Like you've got ironically. Almost word for word, the same as your mock review for Redfall, if I believe. <laughs> yeah, well, that would have improved it. Absolutely. Yeah. 7.5. And then Phil Spencer was furious because I was 10, what, I was double honestly, digits out. Like, if Redfall did have, like, ludicrous amounts of gore and dicks and, like, like raw, like, unadulterated dicks and tits and stuff like that, it might be a better game. Wow, I don't would it? I think it would just be weird, like if they did that. I don't think it would, mm. they, they don't. I don't think it has the chops to pull it off. I think it would just be like, um, <laughs> um, what is his name? Oh shit! Wow, Duke Nukem. It'd be like Duke Nukem level of tits, <laughs> where they used to flash in the strip in the strip club. Uh, See, so you're too yeah. young. You never played it. No, no, no. I, I, throw I, money I, at them. No, I, 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 no, I've, I've, I've well, the only Duke Nukem play, game I played is Duke Nukem Forever, but I'm familiar with Shake It, baby. I'm familiar <laughs> with, with, with um, making it rain. Be that Nukem. level, that level of crap. No, the, the reason I was looking off into the distance, bewildered, is because every time Duke Nukem um, uh, comes up, I get sidetracked in my brain by remembering this conversation that it must have happened on some podcast I listened to when they're talking about how you bring Duke Nukem back in the year 2023, and like. It has to be something where, like, the cult, like, Duke Nukem exists, the Duke Nukem games exist in universe, and, like, the culture's completely changed so that everyone, like, hates Duke Nukem now and he's been cancelled and, like, um, and he has to, like, claw his way back. And, like, something about society changes so the, that, like, like, a reformed 
like feminist Duke Nukem has to be the new um <laughs> what? Has to be the new save. I don't know. That would be wicked. Oh, I'd love that. If Duke Nukem like is a, there. Like a, yeah, like a self-aware Duke Nukem. That would be that would actually be really funny. I'd be there for that. It's the only way they can save it. Um somehow we've dragged one story and talking about um <laughs> the Gran Turismo trailer. Uh, over an hour and a half, but we do have one more story to touch on, but it's, it probably won't take too long. Um, but we need to talk about this, um, everybody out there, because four more games have been inducted into the Video Game Hall of Fame um, from Strong World, from the Strong World Video Game Hall of Fame. Um, I've never heard of it before, but I am told it is legit by nobody I just made that up. Um, well, it no. looks pretty it is legit. They use, they use a lot of big words to describe themselves. I'm going to assume it is the biggest thing in halls of fames in video games. That's what I'm going to do, just because. Why else would it be talked about in news spheres? Anyway, but let me let me hit you, Jamie, with some of the games that have been put, you know, pride of place onto the uh, the, the um, hall of fame. I'm talking about Barbie fashion designer, computer space, um, The Last of Us, and. One more that I cannot remember what the fuck it is. Oh, and Wii Sports. Yeah. So actually, four very deserving games. Um, so I agree. They're not, uh, and it's a nice range as well. It's not just that they're going for the same, the same old thing. Uh, would you like me to give you a little rundown of what each of these games is, just in case you haven't heard of some of them? There's two, I'm guessing, that you might yeah, not have heard yeah, of. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so Computer Space was the first true commercial video game released in 1971 it was coin operated uh, it was an arcade cabinet and designed by Atari um, and it was a space shooty shooty game which you probably tell from the fact that it was called Computer Space uh, Barbie Fashion Designer was released in 1996 for PC and it was more of a uh, design game a um, bit of an interactive toy as we call it now where you could uh, design clothes for dolls and you could um, print them out um, and dress your dolls. But it actually sold, which is the reason I think it was being put into the Hall of Fame, it sold over half a million copies um, in its first two months, which was pretty surprising because it was like a time when games were pretty much marketed uh, mainly towards the male audience. And so for it to do so well was, was um, yeah, was a sign that actually, do you know what? Ladies play games too. So they realised that there's a market out there. Miss Pac-Man probably proved that as well back in the day when they sort of yeah. to bow on her head. I actually, like, I like that because, you know, at a time where you, know, you think about the late 90s, you think about sort of like, um, I don't know, like, well, for me, I, I guess I come from the console side of things. So for me, the late 90s is like, so sort of like bigger polygonal hits like Ocarina of Time and Final Fantasy VII. But I think the idea that you can go back to that era and focus on the fact that you're right, a game that is not only primarily targeting, um, the, uh, you know, a, a um, well, not targeting the male audience, let's say. No, but people that traditionally, less male-focused games as they traditionally were, like shooty-shooty-bang-bang games and football and stuff like that. Exactly. And the fact that, you know, you're shipping half of a million copies, copies inside two months is like one of those reminders of like, yeah, even back in the late 90s, that audience did exist. Those people were out there. Those voices were out there. And I think to recognize one of the games that... You know, there's, I, I can't speak from experience, but it makes you wonder if you go out there, how many people are, are in games today on the development side, on the, or, or, you know, in the, um, like the journalistic side, or even just uh, playing games in general, where that was like one of their sort of like earliest or, or formative gaming memory for them. It's cool that that kind of stuff can be acknowledged alongside, you know, games like Computer Space, which I, again, when you're talking about one of the first true commercial video games, that speaks for itself. 
and in the last of us and we sports you know if you're talking about slightly more modern titles that for very different reasons are i think relevant and sensible choices for a hall of fame yeah i, I like these shouts um I had a bit of a Wii Sports um, uh, random thing occurred in my life very recently because my kids went to my um, brother-in-law's house and they've got a Wii and they were playing Wii tennis. And then my kids came home and said, can we get a Wii? And I said, why would we get a Wii? We've got a Switch. And they said, yeah, but we want to get a Wii because we want to play Wii Sports. And I was like, it's just an old version of the Switch. We can get Wii Sports on the Switch. And they were kind of baffled. Um, and so then I've been... Um, well, that's a really weird thing to have to explain. Yeah, I've been tasked with tracking down Wii, um, Wii Sports for the Switch. And I was like, I'll find uh, tennis, whatever. But they're, pro- the they're probably going to look at Wii Sports for the Switch, see the better graphics and all that stuff, but be like, yeah, but it's not the same thing. We want to play Wii Sports. <laughs> probably this will, is, yeah. This isn't Wii Sports. I want yeah. the big white thing in my hand. They're like, no, you, yeah. you don't want that in your hand, actually. But they're kids, so... Their kids, they um, probably won't understand. They'll, they'll be annoyed yeah. at the um, the little controllers for the Switch. I, I will say, Jonesy, I, I pulled up the Wikipedia article earlier for the World Video Game Hall of Fame when I was trying to figure out if it was actually like a worthwhile or sort of like meaningful resource. And for what it's worth, it looks like it is. Um, but I was going to say, so I will share this with you. Um, the, the, the eligibility for the Hall of Fame is based on four criteria. Icon status, longevity, geographical reach, and influence. And the way it works is that the general public vote on a bunch of nominations. An internal committee choose, um, I think it's about usually about 15 finalists. And then an international selection committee made up of journalists, scholars, and other individuals choose four or five games from that 15 or, or more. If I were to tell you that 2015 was the first year that this ran, and they nominated their first six games into like the inaug- what was then the inaugural Hall of Fame. Could you guess any of those first six <coughs> titles? Bless you. Excuse me. Thank you. In 2015. In Ooh. 20. So well, 2015 was just when they did it. So obviously, oh, so of course, any games that you you want. Yeah, like like oh, yeah, like I will say that there's nothing post. There, there's only one game. Oh no, actually, I'm not going to say that. I, I'm wrong. Okay, so Mario. Can you be more specific? Uh, Super Mario Bros. 1. Correct. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 1. No. Ooh. Is Metal Gear... I don't think Metal Gear's in there yet. Uh, Goldeneye? No. This is hard, because this is trying to guess what the public would nominate and then would get through. Well, again... There's the so many games not- you could put into this. Tomb Raider 2? Gold, so Gold, Goldeneye has since been nominated. Right. Metal Gear, no Metal Gear has never been nominated. That's insanity. How's that happened? And um, Tomb Raider, a, a, a Tomb Raider is now in the Hall of Fame. It's the, I'll tell you, it's the first one. Okay. Um, but um, still from that uh, first mm. six to ever get put in, you've only got Super Mario Brothers. Again, don't be I've got, I'm to going think- to new, aren't I? I need to go further back. Um, like Space Invaders? Yeah. Space Invaders was nominated, was not uh, chosen. Pac-Man? Pac-Man is one of them, yes. So you got two. Uh, there's still there's still one that's older than Pac-Man. Uh, Pong? Not Pong. Correct. Yeah, Pong. No, you're, Pong you're, is Pong. Yep, that's three. I was like, is it called Ping or Pong? <laughs> one that's slightly later than Pac-Man, but maybe still associated with the same kind of like... Um, 
era of arcade classics? Would it be like uh, Donkey Kong? Uh, n- uh, no, slightly more generic, like less t- associated with um, like a major. May or may not have uh, been the focus of a movie very recently. Um, more generic, a movie recently. Oh my goodness! I can't yeah, very, very recently. In fact, <laughs> all I can think now is um, created by an engineer called Alexei Pajitin. Oh, Tetris! It's Tetris. Of course, it's Tetris. Okay. Okay, you've got so you've got two more. One is a. Um, a very significant game in what is now one of the most popular uh, video game genres in the world from the early 90s. Uh, are we talking kind of like uh, War Sim, like Call of Duty style? Uh, yes, like, you, like, yeah, like you could connect the dots, um, but, but, but that sort of... Uh, don't, don't, don't focus on the, the War Sim way of putting it, just be more generic than that. Um, oh, God. Early 90s. Well, what, is Call of, what is Call of Duty? As a genre, uh, first-person shooter. Yes. Uh, so, so, if you were going to go, if you go back to like the, the the founding fathers of the modern FPS, like Doom or something like that, you got it. Okay. Is and the like, other one, always oh, one the more. Fi- oh, the final one is it's a fair shout. Um, in term, it definitely has longevity, reach, and it is an icon. Um, it is technically the spin-off of another series, but the reason this is um, significant is it is because it was has always been and remains one, despite coming out um, almost twenty years ago, one of the most popular games in a let's say a, a very connected genre. Um, two thousands very connected genre. So it's going to be. Uh... Uh, what do we call it? League of Legends. Something no, like so er- earlier than that, um, and far bigger and more important. Like oh. there's a South, there's a South Park episode all about it. It's that important. Um. Oh, I feel like I'm totally flunking on something really obvious. Is it an MM? Is it like an MMORPG kind of thing? It is. It is the MMORPG. What is it called? World of Warcraft. Yes, that's what I meant. Not League of Legends. I meant World of Warcraft. I just, oh, right. okay. I've not played those. I've never played them really. So I meant World of Warcraft. Yeah. Of course, I meant World of Warcraft. They um, were they were the first six games um, put into the Hall of Fame. Um, the other nominees were Angry Birds, FIFA International Soccer, The Legend of Zelda, Minecraft, The Oregon Trail, Pokemon Red and Blue, The Sims, Sonic the Hedgehog, and Space Invaders. That's there's some very good games in there. Very deserved games to be um, inducted. Well done. Well done. Um, what are the games we said? Barbie, Fashion Designer, Computer Space, um, The Last of Us, and Wii Sports for uh, making it in there. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, look, in the, in the chat, I'm getting lit up. World of Warcraft. Oh, they were all having their guesses. Away. World of Warcraft, Doom, um, Tetris. Everyone was, everyone was uh, getting there before I was getting there. So, yeah. That, mean, that means my clues must have been all right. Yeah, your clues are on point. So, um, oh, hold on. Oh, hold on. Though. Um, let me just. So, Rodrigo got all of them. Yeah. I'm saying there's multiple people. It's just one person getting all of your guesses before Rodrigo, I got there. Really, as well. Rodrigo, the expert. Maybe Rodrigo works for Strong. <laughs> Maybe he just knew which ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's also mad. Like, there are some games that were nominated in that first, like Angry Birds that are nominated in that first batch in 2015, but still haven't made it in. FIFA, GoldenEye, 
It's really weird with something like that as well, because it's, I find it far too difficult to do, to sort of take away my own experiences about games that I thought totally. were amazing. And actually it, often the game that you really, you know, thought was amazing, thought was incredible, wouldn't have had, it wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for another game. And then that game is usually the one which, which um, finds its way onto those sorts of lists. And then you're like, well, I can't believe this game didn't. And it's like, well, that game was just a, you know, basically a rip off of this. So uh, it's, I'm, but I'm, I'm, so I'm not very good at that. Like the sort of games, sorts of games that I'm like, these games are incredible is usually just ones that I played shitloads when I was a kid. Um, yeah, I, I think that's totally understandable. We, each of us would have our own completely unique halls of fames if we mm. were to compile them. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, but with that um, bombshell of the games that have made it in there for 2023, it is time uh, to call a day on the Super Show for this week. Um, it just remains for me to say thank you so much for everybody for watching. Thank you for everyone who's uh, watching us live and for commenting. Thank you to our patrons um, who support us over at patreon.com. Um, stay listening and we will stay recording these, making content and being with you every week. And thank you, Jamie, for being you. Well, thank you, Jamesy, for hosting and for being you, as always. Uh, well, see you later. <laughs>